0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 22. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, and brought to you by XS Sites. Today is Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021, as the recording of this episode And I am here, Riley Bowman, your host, together with co-host and ConcealedCarry.com president, CEO, founder, uh, yes, the man himself, the legend, Jacob Paulson.
1: I am here. It is true.
0: You know, we're getting close to an end of another year, which also means we're we're actually, it's bringing us close to six years of the podcast. Mm. Can you believe that? Uh, yeah. That's weird, dude. Just yeah. weird. The time has flown by. We've had too much fun while doing it, apparently. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, today, folks, we're going to be talking about four reasons people don't carry, carry medical gear. Uh, it be an interesting discussion, I, I feel. Uh, actually, I think many of these points we are going to make are, are the same ones that I have gone through myself in my own personal journey. Uh, so our hope is to help either you, the listener, or you, that, or someone that you care, care about, uh, maybe overcome some of those things that are holding you back from carrying the gear that could actually save lives and make a difference. Uh, we all carry guns. There's other things maybe we should consider as well. So we'll talk about that, and what those four reasons we think are. But first today's episode, sponsored and brought to you by our title sponsor, XS Sites. Jacob, I'd like to hear from you a little
1: bit about why XS Sites. Okay, so here's an interesting logical jump then. I think that we have to accept that it is important, no matter how novice or awesome sauce you are of a shooter, that you be able to quickly acquire your sights. And that means being able to pick up the front sight with great contrast to the rear notch. And so a large number of sights that we see come stock on guns don't do that. They don't achieve that objective. Um, For example, think about stock sights that come on a Glock. It's just a bunch of white dots, like it's really not that helpful. Um, it makes it difficult to pick up one and distinguish it from the others right so a large number of guns come such that a very pr- important upgrade regardless of your level of skill is uh, to to upgrade the sights so you're going to you're going to have to buy some sights that's kind of the first logical jump and the second jump then is what do I buy and where do I buy it well <laughs> a couple things one I'm an economic guy, I don't want to spend more money than I need to. So XS Sights provides a, uh, an economic option. You're not, you don't have to pay a fortune to buy any of the products from XS Sights. Second, I think it's important to have options because there's preferences, there's personal preferences. What Riley might love on his gun might not be what I love on my gun in terms of what I feel is easy to pick up and acquire in my sight picture. And access sites has a lot of options. Uh, you've, of course, you don't have to listen to very many episodes to know what Riley's favorites are. But like their new sites, what are they called? The R D three R three D. R three D. I think those are extremely good sites. Uh, I think that they're very. Um, I think that they're not a big change if you're used to what would be stock on a gun. They're just a little bit of a tweak, but extremely important of a tweak. It's not a massive like uh, you know change in, in terms of the 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 site um, footprint. So I think those are really nice sites, but the point is they have lots of options. And third, and this is always a bonus in my opinion, I, I consider it a bonus when I can po- buy an economically priced high quality product that's actually made in the US. So there you go. Those are the logical conclusions. You're going to need some sites. You don't want to spend a fortune. You want to have some options uh, dep- based on what your personal preference is and bonus for you when you buy excess sites, you also get a made in the US product.
0: Absolutely. I think you said it very well. I was just thinking, you know, one of the reasons why we talk about contrast being important in sights is, uh, well, at least to me. So I take more of a target focused approach with my aiming with both a red dot, which is how you should be doing it, and also with iron sights even as well. I know that's probably a little strange to some people because you're so used to hearing front sight focus, front sight focus, front sight focus. Um, But I have found that I have, I've been actually quite liberated in my ability to shoot and to shoot well and shoot quickly uh, when I can you know, the more I can remain target focused. When you have high contrast between the front and the rear sight, this is how it works. The rear sight is just a window. It's just a window you look through. It should always pretty much be in the same location because it's right above the web of your hand, which doesn't move very much. Because that part of the gun should be relatively stable. The front sight is the part that moves more. And if you can see this high contrast dot or thing hanging out in the rear window of your rear sight, then that, that's really all you need. So you look at the target, you focus on that target, the gun comes up in the and you create a sight picture and as soon as I see color of that front sight again the the brighter it is or the more contrasty that it is with the rear with with the rear sight, boom my sights are there send the shot, unless I need a slightly more and, and, and that's more of a like a speed sort of approach, uh, I can still shoot very accurately with a target focus, um, but maybe i might have a shot where i want to bring my focus back towards the front sight either way uh, i like high contrast and that's kind of how i use them in a target focused approach sights work very well in that in that use that i just described when we have bright colored things on the rear sight it just dis- it it just creates more noise it makes it more difficult to recognize where that front sight is in relation to the rear one when we're using that kind of aiming approach. Our other sponsor today, but, oh, one more time, excess Sites, XS is the place where to find them. Please go check them out and give our sponsors a support uh, as well. So we, we appreciate you for supporting us. EliteSurvival.com is the website of our next sponsor, Elite Survival Systems, the company uh, makers of fine, fine equipment and especially known for their bags, uh, backpacks primarily, but some other uh, uh, specialty bags as well. In fact, they got a bunch of products that if you haven't landed on their site and just kind of perused your way through their menu, you probably didn't even know existed. Uh, but I will say I am a huge, huge fan of their backpacks. I've got just sitting over here to my left, my elite survival systems. Uh, it's the, uh, stealth SBR backpack, uh, which is, uh, well for those of you viewing here, it is. Some of you seen it already, but I love the styling of this bag. Because it's low profile, it's not very obvious as to what it is. But yeah, I can carry around in there uh, any manner of guns and tools. So I've got an SBR, well, an AR rifle in that bag right now. It's in there. It's secure. There's room to add other components as well. I've also seen people set them up with like a pistol and a a holster in there because the whole panel is uh, uh, Velcro. And there's also some uh, Somali type webbing as well. So lots of different ways that you can set up the bag and put equipment in there and carry it around with you in a discreet manner in a quality product that's not going to fall apart. And most of their products are made in the USA. So that's, you know, we talk about, you know, made in the USA products. So that's a, that's a huge bonus as well. Jacob's got a bag there as well. What do
1: you got there? This is their loadout range bag. And uh oh, it's nice. full of stuff, so it's a little bit heavy <laughs> and stout here, but it's a very impressive bag. It's got this really clever feature where there's kind of an inner bag that you could pull out of the of the you know larger bag and 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 set it down at the range as well. so it, and it kind of unzips all the way flat so you kind of can roll it out and use it as a a, a pad at the range so you're not mm. scratching up your gear yeah it's it's really nice. it's very I nice. like that.
0: I haven't looked at yours personally yet, but I saw images of that on on their website. Super cool. So, guys, don't just survive, thrive. Check out elitesurvival.com to see their full layout of products. We appreciate our sponsors. All right. Today, though, we're talking about medical gear and four reasons people don't carry it. Um, Naturally, that's going to mean we'll talk about another company that is going to offer many of the solutions that you're looking for to address some of the things we're talking about here today. Uh, if that doesn't uh, become readily apparent to you, or maybe you're a newer listener to the podcast, well, it'll become clear enough here shortly. Jacob, you recommended we discuss this topic.
1: Why? Um, I think I go, uh, look, you said this earlier, and I, f- I feel the same way that I've been through my own personal journey and trying to achieve this. Um, and it's an interesting kind of conclusion to arrive at because I think generally when you enter the concealed carry community, you're, you're very gun focused. You're very focused on what that looks like to carry a gun and in and, and part because it's an overwhelming thing to start carrying around a gun and to figure out comfort and the holster and go you know, through whatever legal process that might be required to get a permit and be able to do it legally and then have to secure it and figure out the ammunition and the belt and the clothing and any number of other things that, that come with it that consume, you know, this podcast. But then you, you know, you start to maybe run into these things. And certainly I did where people said, well, what about medical? I got to be prepared for medical and, I think that that becomes almost this ancillary journey that you have to look at and and treat very seriously. I I think it's like a lot of things in our industry where overall survival has a lot of components and carrying around a gun is only one of them. And so it might feel weird that our community is so focused on emergency medical. I mean, we could choose to be just as focused on... uh, you know, water and food storage, I suppose, or any number of other you know communications and ham radio or any other number of things that that are part of an overall survival mi- mindset but I think that if we're going to help people cross the bridge with this medical thing we have to address head on the top concerns people have that, that prevent them from engaging from acting from being proactive and so That's that's my thinking here. It's like, hey, let's. What are the top concerns? What are the things that hold people back? Like, let's just head on, nail them.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I was thinking about as you were mentioning your own your own personal personal journey. Uh, I've talked about before about how my life was impacted greatly by a severe accident that I wasn't involved in directly, but, uh, arrived to the scene of as a relatively young man. I was 18, 18 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, the, a, a young girl passed away as a result of that accident. And it caused me to look inward and go, Hmm, wish I could have been of more help there. Cause you know, might have, might I have made a difference? Uh, perhaps I don't know, but what I do know is there was no one there that, Particularly was really all that well trained, and by that I mean, like even just having something as simple as a a recognized CPR, AED, first aid class would have been a big help. Uh, I was a Boy Scout at the time, or, or well, you know, I was eighteen, so I guess technically I don't, you know, but I I had grown up, you know, and, and gone through the Boy Scout program, took you know a number of first aid type classes learned you know about tourniquets and things uh but i didn't really achieve a certain comfort level in my skills and like this was the first time i was faced with like someone is laying on the ground and is is dying it's the first time i ever encountered that in my life in the, in that fashion and so uh uh, uh as a boy scout i you know be prepared, right? The motto, uh, or yeah. Is that the motto? That's the motto, right? Be prepared. Yeah. It's, so a long time. <laughs>
1: it's actually really interesting you bring that up you know? because even, even in the medical sphere, we kind of have different like subcategories. And as, as in the concealed carry gun community, we get really focused around like what I'll, for lack of a better term, I'll just call stop the bleed, mm-hmm. right? March, like this mm-hmm. idea of serious trauma. Um, but you know, as a Boy Scout, I don't. You know, we we got a lot of first. I I I was also a Boy Scout. I I achieved the rank of Eagle, yep. and and as a and a Boy Scouts, so we got a lot of first aid related training, but very little was around that kind of trauma. A lot of it was around things like Heimlich maneuver, uh, choking, and uh, heart attacks, stroke victims, um, uh, splinting, and I was, and I was mobility. Like yeah yeah exactly you break yeah. a bone like right yes yeah th- stuff that was probably uh, relevant to the context hey we're gonna go camping in the woods you know what what are some things oh Johnny might you know crack his ankle or do mm-hmm. a you know break his arm or get hit in nope. the face by a tree and you know so so yeah like the, you know this is how we're gonna yep. create a litter this is how we're gonna splint his leg and carry him down the mountain like that that was yep. relevant to that context. Now here in the gun world, cons- the concealed carry community, are, we tend to think in the context of gunshot wounds. You know, we're at the gun range and someone actually gets shot or we're at an active shooter event and a couple of people go down or shoot, someone breaks in my house and we get in a gunfight and I have holes in me or my mm-hmm. wife has a hole in her and we're trying to keep yeah. the blood in there. So um, it, it, there is within, you know, we talk about first aid, broadly speaking, there is some contextual Um, things there that are relevant that, that we kind of tend to not, you know, orient toward our own context that we're talking about.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with that. You know, I I do remember covering mostly improvised tourniquets when I was Mm -hmm. in Boy Scouts. And and I have to also put myself in, in the place of the world has changed in 20 plus years. You know, we, we just got through this globe or this, uh, Yeah, uh, Global War on Terror, right? Uh, The GWAT, the war in Afghanistan, war in Iraq. Many things in the tactical realm have changed as a result of lessons learned due to those wars. You know, love or hate those wars, or, you know, I don't think anybody loved the wars, but you know what I mean. Like, whether you were in support of that or not is really irrelevant in terms of there's been benefits that have occurred due to, basically battlefield medicine advances, right? Which translates straight across into the types of things that, you know, maybe is on our minds as gun carriers. So, um, and, and all of that is relevant. There is a, certainly there is a, a likelihood I'm carrying a gun. I'm thinking in my mind that, oh, I might need to use that in defense. And if that's the case, there's a high pro- probability that somebody At the very least, the person I shoot now, whether you want to help them or not, that's up. That's up to you to determine. But uh, you got to be, you know, good with that. Whatever that answer is for for your personal context, but there's a high probability that I or someone I care about is wounded, and how do I deal with that? You know. So uh, going back to kind of my story a little bit of my life was changed. My my I had a major paradigm shift in coming across my first true trauma event and not feeling prepared. That's why I was joking a little bit about the, the boy scout motto of being prepared. And I didn't feel that that way at all. And so uh, I sought out some training and I got my first CPR certification, uh, and maintained that and have done so, uh, pretty much up to the present time, uh, with a few lapses here and there, but, uh, generally gotten it renewed, uh, You know, right away. But since then, I've been exposed to other events of trauma, right? And so, what has this taught me? It's taught me that number one, I'm much more likely to be experienced or to be exposed to trauma than I am an actual gunfight. And what that trauma looks like is often different than what we think it might be. Especially if we're thinking that we gotta be prepared for trauma in the gunfight context, that's not likely the trauma that we're going to come across. And so it's 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 certainly still wise to be prepared for the gunfight context related trauma. Okay. Meaning the more likely thing is something like maybe needing a chest seal or something to that effect. Okay. Tourniquets, still very, very valid. And we just had this conversation with Chris Cyper in our Guardian Nation Live uh, recently, right? Um, Tourniquets, I'd say, are still very relevant, especially if we spend time at the gun range. How many times has somebody shot themselves, especially down the leg or in that general vicinity as they are holstering or drawing or doing something to that effect? That's a fairly common common injury at a gun range. You know, in the in the in the grand perspective of of gun gun range injuries, and so uh, th- there's a high probability that the fem- femoral artery is injured in that in that process. So, uh, anyway, it's wise to be prepared for all these things. Anyway, where I'm, where I kind of, where my mind is going with all this, Jacob, is it's all about, I think, uh, motivations or. Uh, You know, what our intents are, our intentions, right? We why do we carry a gun? Well, I'd like to think we carry a gun because we want to be prepared for the unlikely event, but very traumatic and critical event, should it occur, that we need to defend ourselves against a deadly threat, right? Well, if that if the context is preserving life and or self-preservation of what of, of any kind, then there's there's other things that we could be prepared with. Now we've had this conversation before, so I guess we don't need to go down that road any further. Probably. As well, far I think as you're
1: that. you're you're speaking really already to our our first barrier, our first reason people don't yes. care medical. Yeah. And so maybe we should just formalize the conversation a little bit, but. But, but the first reason is that people just don't see the need. And so I think that we're, we're speaking to that right now, right? That some people just don't see it as that critical. And, and it's an interesting thing because I think we it's a buzz phrase. It's a cliche in our industry to say something like, oh, you're way more likely to need emergency medical gear than you are a gun. And it's true. Like I got nothing wrong with the cliche, to be clear. Um, but I think what we the, – the, the problem, the, the part of that phrase that's missing is understanding also uh, what's at risk. Because you're way more likely to need a lot of things than a gun. I'm way more likely in life to need a cell phone or a car or a flashlight than yep. a gun. But but the difference is when we talk about most of those other things that have higher probability, we're not talking about life or death situations. But when we talk about a gun and a, and a, and a trauma kit or emergency medical related gear and skills, we are talking about life and death. And so that's why that, that cliche phrase has so much value because we're comparing two things that, that equally are talking about high stakes, right? They're both referring to dying and living, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, I'm more likely to need my pocket knife than I am to. I use my pocket knife all the time. But I very rarely, very rarely, I never have had to grab my gun in an emergency. So, So the difference though is that it's not life or death if I can cut open this package I got from Amazon. But it is, but when I go for the trauma kit, that is also a life and death emergency. And that's the point. Yep. So so we yep. acknowledge as an industry, broadly speaking, that you're more likely to need emergency medical gear than you are a gun. But we have to understand that in the context of whether we're talking about emergency first aid or we're talking about a gun, in both situations, we're talking about life and death. And and if if you don't believe that, if you don't buy into this idea that you're more likely to need one than the other, then I just don't think you're you're thinking straight. Like it for example, like an easy one would be for me to say, what's more likely for me to get carjacked or for me to be in a car accident. Like, I don't know that many people have been carjacked, but I don't know anybody who's never been in a car accident. Um, so not all car accidents, you know, what would, would require emergency medical you know, trauma kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that that starts to point the picture. I did do some, some research though, not too long ago. And in case you're curious, we did a survey, an internal survey, over 2,000 people responded that indicated that 70%, almost exactly 70% of the respondents, have had to call 911 to report an emergency medical incident. And hmm. another here's another interesting statistic. In the U.S., 76 people experience an injury that warrants emergency medical attention every minute.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that, that sounds completely believable. Yeah. <laughs> You know, one once especially once you've been exposed to, to such things. And it's like you I think that like I said, that's why I share my my story yet again, is that, that it took a traumatic a traumatic experience like that for me to to for me to actually align my beliefs with reality. To go, oh, you know, cause like nobody thinks they're ever gonna get hurt. You know, that's not how we live our lives or we would not do anything because we would try to avoid all risk. Nobody believes that today's the day they're going to get hurt or come upon somebody that needs help because we all want to help generally. I mean, there's some exceptions obviously and there's some people that don't particularly want to get, don't feel comfortable getting involved with helping someone that's having some kind of medical event or, or trauma emergency. Um, But, uh, but yeah, like it, You know, it's like the comment here from, is this from, who's this one from? Jared? I don't know. No, Eric. This one's from Eric. Uh, He's commenting in our Guardian Nation members Facebook group um, that we had a a lady fall at church and found our first aid kit was woefully inadequate. Yeah. For the first time, you're like, we thought we were prepared. And then reality tells you otherwise. That's what I'm talking about here. Uh, This is the paradigm shift that occurs is when. Now, something has forced your belief system to get in line with what reality actually is. And the reality is there's medical emergencies that happen all the time, every day across this country. And now, if you want to make the decision and say, well, I, I don't want to be involved, I, I'm not the right kind of person to get involved with that kind of thing to help somebody else, then you probably should just bow out of this conversation, and that's fine. right? Yeah, that's- but
1: what about yourself? I mean, <laughs> be, right? Yes. Like, Uh, regardless of if you're, if you think you're a hero, like I presume you do care about self-preservation. You know, Riley and I both have share a friend. I don't know if we have permission to share this or not, but she was putting up Christmas lights and uh, slipped a little bit on the ladder and cut her arm open on a rain gutter. And it had a pretty serious bleed and had to self-apply a tourniquet right then and there. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm always going to be a hero either. I like believe I could happen. when I don't put myself at risk, but I definitely going to make sure I make it home alive. Right.
0: Yep. yep. You know, now I think about it, it was uh, not too long after that first incident. I just, you just brought to my memory another incident on a construction site where somebody slipped with a utility knife and cut a long, nasty gash in his, in his thigh
1: Aww. with that
0: utility knife. And at the time it was like, Ooh, wow, this is bad. You know, better get him to the hospital. Um, wasn't It didn't even really cross our minds, I don't think, that, you know, oh, the, I mean, obviously, if it was spurting blood, that would have been a different story probably. But, I mean, there was not a tourniquet anywhere nearby on that construction site, you know, and he could have just as easily have sliced right into his femoral artery. I mean, it wasn't that far from it, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, you know, like, we're doing, we're just normal people doing everyday stuff. Working in the garage, the shop, the shed, the roof, the house, driving our cars. Things can happen just about anywhere, anytime. Uh, and, and and back to Eric's point about the first aid kit at church not being adequate. Uh, I went through hours at our church building. Uh, actually, there's a couple of them, but went through that same sort, of, same reason. You know, like, what do we have in this kit? Yep, lots of Band-Aids. Lots of band aids,
1: yeah. Well, Maybe great. some aspirin, some Tylenol.
0: You know, Benadryl if so you're lucky. It, it was time to 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 change that, okay? Because there's there's more that you need than just band aids and Tylenol. Those are good things to have too. But when we're talking about trauma, uh, and the whole the stop to bleed thing is is what it's all about is being able to stop bleeding right now when it's critical, not just a paper cut on your finger. So
1: I'll just, I'll just share a quick thought here. We had uh, just a, two weeks ago or last week, a Denver city police officer fired from his job mm. because he failed to render medical aid. Now this is not a political thing. This has nothing to do with policy. Okay. And it, it, this is simply me pointing out. This was a situation where an officer showed up on a gunshot uh, victim, grabbed his radio, called for the ambulance and then did not do anything right? The ambulance showed up and took care of this dude. And and the court, you know, the or the, the investigation, I should say, the investigation found that that was the difference between that person living and dying. That guy died. That victim died. And and they the investigation found that the victim would not have died if in the interim of waiting for the ambulance, that officer had done something. You know, even as simple as just apply pressure. So the the point is that, yeah, us doing something could be the difference between life and death, even when the ambulance is, you know, four or five, eight minutes away.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: All right. Number two, right. Riley. Yep. As,
0: yep. So that, that whole point of that was talking about don't see the need or in the case of me for a long time, my life was, it didn't just didn't really cross my mind because I didn't live with my life thinking it was something that would happen to me. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully we can understand now that it is something that happens. Number two is why not? Why? As far as answering the question of why people don't carry medical gear, concern about space or bulk or weight or carrying that, however that would be, all right, which is a valid concern. Now, this is our podcast is in the context of concealed carriers. So you're already concerned about, well, where do I carry my gun? How do I carry my gun? How do I conceal my gun? You know, that kind of thing, right? And, and hopefully you're on the bandwagon, too, of maybe having some less lethal stuff involved. So, all right, maybe you're carrying a, a small canister of OC spray, some palm pepper spray, whatever, right? Maybe you probably have a knife or something, perhaps a tactical flashlight, a handheld light or something to that effect. Boy, this starts adding up in a right hurry. Now we start telling you, you should be carrying trauma kit of some kind, or at the very least, a tourniquet. Or a tourniquet and some uh, uh, chest heels or something, right? Where am I going to put that? An absolutely valid question to ask. And so and this is one reason why I think in the past we've done some episodes where we we, we talked about... Um, I remember we, we did the episode where we talked about uh, carrying a spare magazine or not. And, talk, and, and I know that one thing that came up in that conversation was, well, perhaps we could be carrying a tourniquet. Or some medical gear in instead of a spare magazine because a lot of people do carry spare mags, right? And so this is the point of the conversation where it's like we start need to be thinking about priorities of if you're concerned about space. Well, you've you've obviously already made a, the priority to carry certain gear. Do we need to have the conversation of do I give up something in lieu of or or now so I can? carry some medical gear with me or a tourniquet or something with me that's a worthwhile conversation to have
1: so i have two core thoughts relating to this idea of, of not having enough space um, mm-hmm. the first the first core thought i have is that we're not talking about the same urgency as we have when we talk about a gun mm-hmm. when, when we talk about access to a gun we talk about milliseconds of urgency potentially right like if i have a life threatening encounter and i need my gun it's absolutely possible that the difference between the gun being in my pants versus over there in my car or over there in in you know in my bedroom safe could absolutely be the difference between life and death you know milliseconds can count seconds certainly can count but when we talk about emergency medical certainly while seconds and minutes have an impact they're significantly less concerning um than, than they are when we talk about the gun. So all that for me to say that I think it's not as critical that you carry medical. And when I use that term, I, I'm you know putting air quotes around it, that when you carry medical, that you have it physically on your person. I don't think there's anything wrong with having it on your person. I'm going to come back to it in a minute, but I'm going to say that I think that it's perfectly acceptable. I would, I would call it even an acceptable industry standard to, to have a trauma gear just within relative reach. So, for example, uh, I have a trauma kit on every level of my house, right? So that doesn't mean it's on me. It means that it shouldn't take me more than about 20 seconds to retrieve one, no matter where I am in the house. I have a trauma kit in every vehicle. It's not necessarily like on my lap while I'm driving, but it's it's readily accessible, right? Like I can I can retrieve it in pretty short amount of time, yeah, uh, you know, probably less than 30 seconds if I stop the car. Uh, I I have one on my bag. You know, I have a couple different bags. I carry a little like backpack where I put my laptop in. I take to work, or I take to any given number of places. So that trauma kit's there. So when I'm sitting in my office, or I'm at our warehouse, or I'm you know at the airport. I was at the airport last week. I have the trauma kit probably within relative reach, less than ten yards at any given point in time. So so I just want to create this allowance. I want to give people permission. That when we say carry medical gear, for me, that doesn't necessarily mean it's in your pockets or you have it on your pant belt or, you know, like it's to me, carry medical gear means it's readily accessible at any given time. And and that's that's okay. That's the first of my yep. two thoughts on this one. Yep.
0: Oh, so you have a second thought.
1: I do, but I was going to let you respond first.
0: I was just going to say that, that uh, I, I would say that is an accepted practice and I, I agree with your logic. I would say the encouraged practice, like, so there's, there's acceptable and then there's like, what's ideal, right? Sure. Sure. And, and what's, what's ideal. Like, I think the advice that, uh, Chris Seipert gave in, uh, in the guardian nation live we did with him last week, uh, was pretty spot on, you know, if, I, I think he mentioned he carries, uh, a, a soft TY tourniquet and a pack of chest seals. Like in his back pocket or something like that, right? Which is a pretty reasonable thing to do. Uh, you can you can you can fold one of those soft T Y tourniquets to be quite flat, and chest seals are pretty flat and can be folded flat uh, as well. So I mean, that's. I, I think part of this conversation is, I think some people don't realize that there are some things they can do that vastly improves their readiness, their level of readiness in this regard, with quite little effort and very little bulk. And and it's probably just that they're just not aware of what that solution is. So if if all you had was a pack of chest seals and a flat tourniquet of some kind, soft T wide, uh SWAT T, not my preferred, but certainly could be could be used and could get the job done. Similar approach. Very flat, very compact, easy to carry. If you have a purse, Have it in your purse. Awesome. Easy to do. In fact, have have a better tourniquet if you can in your purse, uh, for that matter, uh, in in my opinion. Um, You know, so that's the ideal you talked about the acceptable I'm, I'm now covering the ideal and i think that's relatively easy to do uh, and there's products today too that make this easier all the time as well i mean there's great uh, ankle cuffs and things that a person can use and wear and carry uh, that obviously isn't a solution for every context it isn't a solution if you're in the summer months wearing shorts uh, i guess it could be like not that anybody should really care too much about seeing you have a ankle IFAC, although it probably gets some looky loose. Like, what is that dude wearing? That, that's just weird, <laughs> right? You know? But you could do it. Anyway, Um. so, but to your point, like, I, I've got kits in my backpacks and other bags that I frequently have with me and carry around. Uh, I haven't got it totally put together yet, but like this Elite Survival bag that I've got here, it's going to have a kit in there. Uh, I just haven't done it yet. I need to do that. I've got the kit. I just actually need to I think I just need to mount it in there. Um, kits in my, in my vehicles, same, same like you kits in the home. So yeah, uh, within close reach, the the one thing I do want to stress is that the worst arterial bleeds you, I mean, we're talking a femoral, a severing of the femoral artery in your, in your thigh and your leg. Um, you could lose consciousness, consciousness in like 30 seconds pretty easily. So or at least get to a point where you're not functioning well enough to do to do self aid. So just understand that, like worst case scenario, it can happen quicker than you may think. Uh, so when you're like, "Oh, I can get a kit within twenty or thirty seconds," just give that some thought. So have sure. a plan. In other words,
1: yeah, I think that's valid. I think we also have to accept like a practical versus ideal. You talked about ideal. And I'm just going to come back to you know what I would have described as a practical approach. I today I had a conversation with a relative of mine. I don't think I'll be more specific than that, uh, who's an attorney. and he wears a suit, you know effectively a suit every day, but without the jacket. You know he never wears the jacket. but he's wearing suit pants, you know, so nice, very nice, high, you know, high end. Uh, dress pants and a tucked in shirt and a tie every day you know i wear you know defender flex jeans basically every day i have seven pockets <laughs> right like mm-hmm. i have a lot of pockets so i was talking to to this relative of mine and he was complaining about he's like man i want to have carry this and i want to carry this and i want to carry this but i just can't he got i can't pull it off he's like i don't have room for all this stuff mm-hmm. um you know on me the way i'm expected to dress for my profession, and so." You know, his approach is going to have to be different for his circumstances mm-hmm. than yep. mine. I, I think um, the other thought I was going to add, and I think I don't need to say it as much because you covered a lot of, of what I was going to say, but it's okay to have this kind of layered approach, right? Like the, the kit I have on my backpack that I take with me places is not extremely substantial. It's pretty good. It's going to solve most of my problems, um, but but I'm it's not as substantial as like the one I have in the house or the one I have in the car because that's a place I have more room. Right, and in the same way, I don't have as much room on my in my pockets as I do in my backpack. So, what I'm going to carry with me in my pockets is going to be even more slimmed down. Right, and so it it's kind of a graduated or layered approach to preparedness based on what's practical for me, uh, and my situation, and where I spend my time, and what I wear, and all you know all those kinds of things, and and how I choose to prioritize um, the allocation of that space. I, I, the last thing I'll add is that I think that it's okay also to think about this in terms of uh, multi-use items. When you're reduced to how many items you can carry, it might make more sense to carry items that have multiple uses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we the 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 great tourniquet debate that should that should be a new podcast episode, mm-hmm. rather. We should have an episode called the Great Tourniquet Debate. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, when it comes to the Great Tourniquet Debate, for example, I, I would never reach for a SWAT as my primary. Tourniquet. If I had a bunch of tourniquets laying on a table, I could grab any one in a given moment. But I like the SWAT as a multi-use item. Not only is it small and compact and easy to carry, um, but I could improvise a chest seal out of it. I could, uh, I could use it as a pressure bandage. I could, you know, use it to wrap a splint. Yeah, you know, that that may may not that may not uh, make up for some of its shortcomings in the eyes of some, and that's fine. Uh, and it's not the tourniquet that currently I have here handy with me. But, but my point is that you might consider looking at some of these things as, you know, what else can I do with this? If you're, if you're going to commit to carrying around a soft T wide tourniquet, you might think, well, what else can I do with this in advance of, of, of carrying it around so that you can you know really leverage it as an asset if you're going to carry it on you all the time? So anyway, multi-use items are good. And, and having a layered approach seems appropriate. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that advice of a layered approach I think is a, a, applicable to every facet of our typical concealed carry you know discussion that we have uh, both in terms of the defensive tools we carry but also the life-saving uh, ones as well let's move now to our third reason reason our third reason people don't carry medical gear is lack of training And again, I shared my personal experience and where that factored in to my inability to act in a certain situation. Uh, Training, the reason why we train is to learn skills, new skills, right? We acquire those new skills, then we need to go practice those skills. That breeds competence in those skills, and competence breeds confidence, And that's kind of the the cycle a person needs to go through before they feel confident enough to use those certain skills, right? And and so that is important to, I think, recognize. I mean, the reason we're talking about here is a lack of training, why someone wouldn't carry medical gear. They think, well, I just won't carry medical gear because I have no idea what to do with it, right? Okay, I understand that. And I understand that there would be this, be this hesitation or this lack of desire to assist because you don't have the training, you don't have the skills, you don't have the confidence to, to intervene and to help, right? So that's a that's totally valid and totally fair. But what I will say is two things here to to begin to address that. Number one, some of the skills aren't. All, all that difficult to learn and to figure out, right? I mean, how hard is it to attend a Stop the Bleed class? It's like a four-hour class. They're that, free. Yeah. They're pretty readily available. Like you can get on stoptobleed.org and look nationwide and typically find a class reasonably close to you, re- wherever you are, low time commitment, low cost Right, free, and generally easy to find. So that should be able to overcome that lack of training concern, I think, relatively easy. Now, if you're still like, nah, I'm not going to go get training, you know what? It is not rocket science to be able to at least uh, uh, apply a tourniquet. It really isn't. At the very least, if you want to keep this to a simple algorithm, high and tight, right? And if you, particularly if you're using a quality tourniquet, a windlass style one, like say a cat tourniquet or soft T wide, uh, you just turn that thing until the bleeding stops, then secure it. It is not rocket science, not even in the slightest. So there are some things we can do that don't necessarily require a lot of training. All right, now there's still that that competence and confidence factor we need to need to be able to overcome. The final thing is a lot of people have a concern about not having the training and, and feeling like they would do worse to the individual they're trying to help because of the lack of training. Well, certainly we shouldn't expect that we're conducting open chest surgery or anything like that. Okay. If we're limiting it to something like applying a tourniquet or Locating a wound and applying pressure to keep bleeding from coming out, that's pretty low barrier type stuff. Really, it is. And if you're concerned about being held liable, I actually am not aware of a single state that doesn't have... And I'm i am not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just not aware of a single state that doesn't have a good Samaritan loss, meaning that you cannot be held liable for attempting to provide aid to someone having a medical emergency.
1: Yeah. Last time I certified with the red cross, which I think was 2020 it was, I think uh, in fact I'm probably about to come due for renewal, but anyway, last time I with certified with the red cross, they made it clear that there were no laws anywhere uh, that would, you know, that would hold you accountable for, for attempting to, Render aid or, or a lack of a good Samaritan law that would, that would make that a problem. Yeah, I think what you said is really important. I think uh, the answer here is that's a pretty crappy excuse. <laughs> You're not going to carry medical gear because you don't know what to do. Like, well, go learn what to do, man. Like, we're not talking about complicated things. In fact, I remember once I was interviewing Michael Martin, uh, who's an, uh, a firefighter, an EMT, and he said, we're talking about Boy Scout skills. We're talking about things that 12-year-olds can be trained to do in an hour. So, we're, so this this is not complicated stuff. This is not medical school level stuff. This is super simple things. And so you mentioned Stop the Bleed course at stopthebleed.org. You put in a zip code, you can find that stuff. If You might have to travel if you're not in a really, uh, you know, metro type area. But, uh, and COVID cut those down quite a bit. In fact, the last one I was scheduled to attend got canceled. Uh, it was right, right during the middle of the beginning of quarantine. It was April of last year. Mm-hmm. But those are all things to consider. I also think that you can find uh, our you know Mountain medical our our company has a free online video course. I, I, no online video course is as good as the same training in person, but it's free and it's there. and I think that it would I think that a person could watch that what is it, an hour and forty minutes or so. I think a person could could watch those videos, answer the yes or no questions and have at least a certain degree of uh, acceptable confidence and competence to be able to like to jump in. Like I, if you had to work on me, if I'm the injured party and all you've done is watched our online video training course, I'm good with it. Like jump in and keep the blood in me, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good to go with that. Like I'm I'm happy to have you work on me. Um, But more importantly, I think we need to approach this with the, with the attitude of understanding that the kind of stuff we're talking about is, is the stuff that will sustain life until a professional can arrive. Meaning to put it simply, If you do nothing, the person is not going to be any uh, better off than if you do something. Like taking any action at all is almost certainly going to have a positive impact. We're not suggesting cutting holes in people. We're talking about taking some action to primarily keep blood from coming out of the person. And and darn near anything you do is going to be better than nothing. There very, very little you could do that would actually have a negative impact on, on the end outcome. So I think that we got to remove this fear of like, well, I don't want to make it worse. Tooth's going to die. Like we're, we're talking about life, death here. Like just doing something almost certainly is going to be better than doing nothing. So throw that out the window and go get some basic Boy Scout level education.
0: Mm-hmm. Also throw out that they didn't always have this, but Stop the Bleed has an online course as well
1: yeah that's new to me i didn't know that
0: yep i think they've launched that since because of because of covid so um again you're going to get some i think the training that you can get online or hands-on is going to be better for you but take a stop to bleed online course take the mountain medical online course that jacob just mentioned uh there's some great resources out there just to get some basic knowledge information and then attempt to practice those things as best as you can. Uh, Like you just said, the alternative is, well, they're probably going to die anyway. So I might as well try to assist. And again, don't overlook the importance that this is something that could happen to you. You mentioned one example, Jacob, of someone having to self-apply a tourniquet from a normally innocuous household activity. And I know of another individual that had to self-apply while just simply doing Essentially, the equivalent of household or yard work, you know. So, it, it don't let the lack of training be the thing. I think that holds you back from having some basic gear and having some basic knowledge about how it works and how to apply it.
1: Yeah, we uh, Brian McLaughlin, who who is the face of our uh, Mountain Man Medical company and brand. He interviewed someone a few months ago, the, the interviews on YouTube, That's the, that someone's name is Jamie Matthews. And I could be butchering the story a little bit, but I'm pretty sure I got this roughly right. Jamie Matthews shows up on a car accident and he goes to respond. He's the third person to have pulled over to try to, to help the, the injured party.
0: The first, the first two are by
1: cell phone viewing, right? <laughs> no, the first two are a doctor and a nurse. And Jamie shows up and guess which of the three, the doctor, the nurse, or our friend, Jamie, is the one who starts applying, you know, uh, rendering some aid. Jamie, you know why? The doctor and the nurse didn't have anything with them. They didn't have any of the gear. Mm. They had significantly more training and experience than Jamie did. But Jamie had the, co- had the gear, had the tools. So he was, of the three, he was most able and prepared to do something. Mm. The, the point there is, I guess, in part, like, just have the crap. Uh, you know, but, but secondly, th- th- it, you don't need to be a doctor like this. Is, we're, we're not talking about like doctor level stuff. The doctor and nurse stood by and watched while Jamie Matthews administered aid because he was the one who came prepared.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another, yes. I've heard that point made too, that you might consider carrying gear, even if you d- wouldn't be the one using it. It sure. might be helpful to somebody else that has more training than you, but for whatever reason, didn't have their gear with them. The final reason why people we think don't carry medical gear is ex- the expense uh, because I mean, number one, it's not the most sexy thing to spend money on. No. I mean, you'd probably much rather buy guns and ammo or buy a new pair of shoes or put it towards a, a car payment on a on a newer, nicer, fancier car, or whatever it is, or buy that PS three or PS four, I guess now <laughs> for uh, your kids, right? You know, so like, um, yeah, like it, it it costs money, and it is it's not inexpensive because medical gear. I think it's important that it's quality, right? When we consider the context of what it's being used for. It should be quality stuff. So that obviously it means it's going to come with a price. Fortunately, and this is where Mount man medical comes handy. And I'll let Jacob speak to this some, um, there, there are ways to save money. And that's kind of one of the reasons why Mount man medical was created was with a desire to bring quality medical gear to the masses as cost effectively as possible
1: yeah, and I'm happy to get on that bandwagon and and reinforce that shameless plug. but I have some other thoughts about how a person can can save money with this. Yep. Uh, but before before I get to that, I'll just add that, yes, like make no mistake. Mountain Man Medical's primary objective is to make quality gear available at a lower price than it's ever been before from other uh, vendors and providers. So we do that. Uh, you can buy individual components or you can buy kits and kits are priced effectively. In other words, and this is not true of all of the competitors in the space, but at mountain when you buy a kit, the price you will pay will be less than the cumulative total. If you bought the individual components. So you're not paying us extra to put it in a kit for you. You're actually saving money by buying a kit. So something to to think about that way. But, but that said, I, I think that like, For example, my wife and I we try and maintain a one year uh, supply of food storage, right? We we, that's our objective. Our objective is to be in a place where if the grocery store shut down, we have enough food in the house that we could we could go a year and survive on it. Now that that would be very expensive too. Like if I was to go out and buy a year's worth of food, that would cost a fortune. And some people do it, by the way. Some people do go to these foods, you know, survival food companies and they buy you know, $1,000 worth of MRE type things. And, you know, you can do that, I guess. Uh, it would cost you more than 1000 bucks to get a year's worth, but probably for 1000 bucks, you can get, you know, months or two months or three months worth, depending on the size of your family. But that would be very expensive. But, but So that's not how we approach it. What yeah. do my wife and I do? Well, we do piece at a time, right? Like when we first got married, I remember like, well, you know, maybe this month we'll buy some extra of this and next month we'll buy some extra of that. And, oh, when this is on sale, we'll get some extra, you know, canned soup or whatever it was and and slowly over time you build that up. I think you need to consider this the same way. I think you need to look at emergency medical the same way and say, well, you know, geez, you know, Jacob and Riley are telling me I should have a kit in every car and every level of the house and on my each bag and in my hunting bag and in my range bag and around my ankle and, you know, plus this extra thing in my pocket. Yeah. Like going to buying all that, we would really appreciate it by the way. That would be fantastic. We would love you as a customer. You should definitely Try if you can do that financially. That'd be great, but probably most of you that's unrealistic or not practical given your monthly budget and constraints. Uh, okay. So I think it's okay to just piecemeal it. To say, well, this this month, you know, I'm going to start by just getting a, a, a tourniquet. I mean, thirty bucks. For thirty bucks, you can go get either a softy wide or a cat uh, plus shipping. And and you can put that in a pocket, and you're one step closer than you were. And then slowly over time, you can acquire some new things and and buy it, you know, a smaller kit, a personal IFAC. and and maybe that's going to work for a while. And then later, you maybe you buy something more substantial for the car, or for the range bag, or or whatever it might be. So so my point is simply, it's okay to piecemeal this thing. It's okay to take it in pieces. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and and most of this stuff will last you a very long time. There are some components like hemostatic impregnated gauzes quick clot, chyto gauze, sea locks, uh, chest seals. Those tend to be items that have a shelf life, but generally those are five year shelf life. So we're not talking about something you got to replace every six months or every year. So yep. I've been rambling for a little bit, but I think, I think it's okay to piecemeal this and say, I'm going to start where I can and I'm going to work on it over time. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a good way to look at it too, that uh, the life expectancy if you will of the products uh even in the case of the ones that do have an expiration date on them uh if you spend twenty dollars on some chest seals and they last five years it's four dollars a year cost it's not if you're spending much. 20
1: bucks on chest seals. by the way that's some those are some nice chest seals because <laughs> <Those laughs> exactly. the top of the line chest seals I, well
0: yeah so you get my point though it's a very low cost on a annual basis, even if, if you're looking at the products that you have to replace occasionally. And some of the products really do last a long, long, long time. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we would love to see your business at Medical.com uh, for products we do. We'd like to think that that's where you're going to find some of the best deals out there anywhere on the internet for those types of kits and products. Um, but uh, at the very least, I just hope you will take heed what we've talked about today and recognize that there is a value to having the gear and having it with you or having it readily accessible that it's worth investing in uh, in whatever fashion it takes for you to do so and that it's relatively easy for you to go and find some training to get some basic knowledge and begin learning the skills to use that gear and my hope is, is that within the sound of my voice of the many thousands of you that will listen to this episode, that some of you will make a difference in somebody else's or in your own life, because you had the gear and perhaps the training to help save life. So uh, it's not hard to do. It just takes a little bit of discipline and also making the decision of what you're going to do and what is important enough for you to do. I hope that this conversation has sparked that desire. Well said, Riley. Well, we're at that hour mark and I know Jacob's got somewhere he's got to be. So let's begin wrapping it up, folks. We thank you again for being with us for yet another episode. I don't know if we mentioned it at the beginning of this one, although you've probably heard it and the last episode with Matthew and even the episode I did with Brian last week. But guys, uh, this weekend as of the recording of the show is Christmas. So we wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy new year. And that we hope that you all are safe wherever you are or on whatever roads you travel throughout this holiday season. And uh, it might be a little late to get some of this gear before you hit the road, but uh, we hope that you're safe in your travels and that uh, you are able to um, add to your own personal protection and preparedness at some point uh, in uh, making sure you have the, the gear and, and, and information and training you need. So, Merry Christmas! Be safe out there. One more time, a shout out to our episode sponsors, which are XS Sites. Go to xsites.com and also Elite Survival Systems, which is elitesurvival.com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you. For listening to yet another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast, Jacob. Final words:
1: Doing something in the case of the medical conversation is the key. Figure out what your next step is, and and just you know go do that something.
0: Yeah. Yep. Something that Brian talks about in the uh, Mount Medical Free Trauma Course that uh, that sometimes it's hard to know exactly what to do or you get locked up, kind of vapor locked, like, uh, where do I start? Do something, jump in. And, uh, a lot of times it'll sort itself out guys. Thanks again. Take care. Be safe. A reminder to train, right, train often and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care.